Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Through each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone. And that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We make leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we are encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today we will be hearing from Dr. Jared Wellman. Dr. Wellman serves as senior pastor of Tate Springs Baptist Church. He earned a Bachelor of Arts and a Master of Arts from Criswell College in Dallas, Texas, a PhD on the subject of heaven at South African Theological Seminary, and is a PhD student at Southwestern Theological Seminary in the field of apologetics. In 2012, he published his first book, The Church Member. In his free time, Dr. Wellman enjoys writing, following the NBA, and spending time with family. Without further ado, Dr. Jared Wellman. It is uh, such an honor to be here. I, uh, I've never been able to preach in this room. I've preached in the, the basement. Uh, they, they like to keep me down there, I guess, here at Chriswell, but um, uh, I, I appreciate that. Um, Chriswell means so much to me, and it always will, and so it's always an honor to be able to, to come and, and be back with you, so thank you for the invitation. You can go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word with me, um, and I feel like, I know you guys are sitting over here, but I feel like most of everyone's over here, so I'm just going to kind of stand here, not to ignore you guys, but um, I've, I've graduated to not use a pulpit at the church now, so I'm more natural using a hardback Bible. So uh, John chapter 11, 25 uh, is where we're going to be as we continue these I am statements. So are you trying to balance it out, Dr. Kramer? Okay, great. All right, now since he's over here, I feel the weight, you know, shifting. Um, in, uh, in 2011, there was a film that was released, and it, it really wasn't that popular of a film. I thought it was fantastic, called In Time, uh, which starred uh, the great actor, Justin Timberlake. And, um, and the movie's really worth watching if you've not seen it, but the, the kind of the plot or the idea of the movie is that everyone, scientifically, they had found a way for people to stop aging at the age of 25, and uh, which I wish they had had whenever I turned 25. But nevertheless, you stop aging at 25. Uh, but then as soon as you turn 25, what happens on your arm, they never explain how they do this, but on your arm, this countdown, like a year, starts counting down. You have one year left. And so what do you have to do? Well, you have to earn more time. And so you, uh, you work for time. Time literally becomes your money becomes your compensation. And, and so then, of course, you have people breaking that rule. They're trying to steal time uh, from one another. And so, and then in some of the poor areas in, in the world, it wasn't unusual to see people's clock run out, and they just drop dead right there on the street. Uh, and so time was kind of the idea of this uh, dystopian movie, and the point was to get the viewer to consider the value of time. And in fact, at one point, Justin Timberlake's character, spoiler alert, gets a whole bunch of time, but he learns you know, that all the time in the world doesn't really matter unless you're spending that time well. And so uh, time, when you, when you think about that, that concept, uh, it's fundamental to how we understand and really measure the world around us. Uh, it's this continuum of, 
of events that occur in really an irreversible sequence from the past through the present into the future, and we measure it with seconds, and we measure it with minutes, and we measure it with hours, and we measure it uh, in weeks and months, and we measure it in years, and, and as, as civilizations have developed, we have all of these ways that we measure time. We have the sundials, the sand glasses, we have clocks, and so the point is that we're always measuring time because we know that lost time cannot be found again. And so uh, time is, is very, very important to us. And we've come to think of time as this great antagonist, if you will, that's constantly kind of chipping away at life, uh, boring a Grand Canyon hole in us. And so as time chips away for us here, many of you students, many of us students, we, we're afraid that we'll run out of time to study for our midterms. And then we may fail. We're afraid we're not going to have enough time to write our final papers. Or we're afraid that... Uh, as time ticks away, it's going to rob us from being able to grow hair on our head, uh, or it's going to rob us uh, of the smooth skin on our faces. Time is just constantly chipping away at our life. It's this great antagonist uh, in our life. Nathaniel Hawthorne has said, time flies over us but leaves its shadow behind. I'll say all of that to say this, that time is the great antagonist in John 11. Now, you may be thinking, hold on, Jared, I thought that death was the great antagonist Uh, in John 11. And you would be right, but time is the soil in John 11 in which death blooms. And so whenever we come to John 11, what's happening is time is ticking off the clock. And what happens with Martha and Mary and ultimately with Lazarus as well, is you have the fear that as time ticks off the clock, that death is going to come with that, and uh, not even Jesus himself can do something about it uh, as he's restricted by this time. So when you get to Uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, it it gives us the introduction to this story, the death and resurrection of Lazarus. There was this man, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, and uh, and it says that they send, Mary and Martha send a word in verse 3 to Jesus, and they say, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So Lazarus is sick, and this word comes to Jesus, but when you get to verse 6, it says, when Jesus receives this message, How does he respond? This is where the tension in the text is. It says he stays two days longer in the place where he was. He stays two days longer in the place where he was. And so when we're reading this, we can't help but ask, why is Jesus acting this way? He seems lackadaisical about this response, about this uh, this news that his friend, the one whom he loves, not just someone he knows about, but someone whom he loves, is sick to the point of death. Jesus receives this, and it says that he doesn't do anything about it. In fact, he waits two days longer in the place where he was. Why is Jesus wasting so much time? Why is Jesus wasting so much time? Especially when you understand who Jesus is. And Jesus is the one who was able to heal a centurious servant in Matthew 8 simply by just saying your servant is healed. He has the power by his word to heal someone who's sick from a faraway distance. So why, didn't even, why did he not even do that when it comes to Lazarus, the one whom he loves being sick? Jesus is the one who, on a boat, when the, the wind and the waves were attacking and threatening their lives, Jesus is the one by his very word calms the storm. When you get down to verse 37 of our story, people are asking the same question. Some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So why would he hesitate? Why would he take his time and let time take his friend? Why would Jesus get there? Well, Jesus tells us the answer in verse 4. Look there with me. When Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. 
Then when you get to verse 11, it tells us outright and bluntly that Jesus, as he's talking and thinking through what's happening, and people are debating him and, and asking him, why is he wasting so much time? He, he says, well, at this point, Lazarus is dead. And we learn later on that he had been dead for four days by the time he gets to Bethany. And so as time progresses, Jesus finally travels to Bethany, and Martha, in verse 21, runs up to Jesus. And she says this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She has so much faith in not Jesus, this is where Martha's going with this, but in the time that Jesus needed to give in order to get there. If you had been here on time, Jesus. In verse 23, Jesus says to her, your brother, he's going to rise again. And then Mary or Martha responds and says, I know that he will rise again. When? In the resurrection on the last day. Again, Martha is focusing not on Jesus, she's focusing on the time. Her whole hope is, is that Jesus is restrained and constrained by this time. So let's consider for a moment what, what Martha is doing here. You know, one of, uh, one of my favorite movies uh, to this day is the movie Interstellar. Love that movie. If you have not seen it, it's a phenomenal movie. Christopher Nolan does a great job with it. And there's a scene where the, the, uh, the astronauts are traveling through outer space, uh, and uh, they're dealing with the theory of time in this movie. And one of the most amazing scenes in cinematic history happens in this movie whenever Cooper and company, they're trying to find a planet that can sustain human life. And so they go to what's called the Miller planet. They go to what's called uh, ultimately the water planet because there's a beacon there that's just kind of giving them the signal that this is where they need to go. So when they land there, they land their, their shuttle and it's just just big chaotic tsunami coming after them. And, uh, and while they're there, you hear in the background every 1.25 seconds these ticks. And some viewers have done the math and realized what was happening is that for every tick that was going off was about a year on earth, just over and over. Why? Because as they're on this particular planet, for every hour that passes by, essentially, um, a whole year passes by on earth. And so by the time they get off this planet, what happens is they get back up and they learn that they've lost 23 years on earth. And so you have this tension, this idea of this, this great loss. And so Cooper runs to uh, this television screen and he, he tries to receive all the messages that he got from his daughter Murph over the last 23 years. And so he's just great, great acting by Matthew McConaughey in the scene as he just realizes how much he's lost. Why? Because so much time has ticked away. Well, when you look at what Martha is doing as Jesus is standing in, in, in front of her, her focus here is on time and, and she feels like they didn't have enough time. And so she wishes that Jesus had arrived earlier in the past so that he could have healed her brother in the present. So from her perspective, Jesus was subjected to time and she can't understand why he wouldn't operate according to her timeline. And this is where the rubber begins to meet the road for us here uh, today. So when Jesus spoke of the resurrection in verse 23 to counteract Martha, she assumes that he's speaking in the context of time of the resurrection on the last day in her timeline, a future moment in time. And in a sense, he is, but what Jesus wants to teach Martha and us in that moment is that it's so much more than this. So in both of the statements in verses 21 and 23, Martha reveals that she considered time an insurmountable obstacle even for God himself. And in effect, she's saying it's too late to help Lazarus. 
He's dead, Jesus. I know you've, you've caused the blind to see. I know you've caused the, the deaf to hear and the lame to walk. But Jesus, too much time has passed and, and Lazarus is dead. And even you, Jesus, even you can't do anything about this until the very last day. This is when Jesus in verse 25 says this, the great I am statement, the fifth of, se- uh, 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 of seven. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. The point here is that when Jesus says he's the resurrection and the life, that he was claiming to be Lord over time. Time, the soil in which death blooms. And so in other words, he didn't wait on time, but time would wait on him. His desire was that Martha would not focus on the time that that seemed to control the Lord, but on the Lord who controlled the time. And so Jesus was making a statement about his divine nature, and he was saying, I am the resurrection, but I'm also life. It's not just what I can do in the future, Martha. It's about what I can do right now in the present. Now, this is a really important and critical theological point for us as, as those who are, who are being trained in the Scriptures theologically and doctrinally to understand what this means for us. Because throughout the course of time, there have been some who have come up with all of these different thoughts and, and beliefs and ultimately heresies about how we understand Jesus in his relationship with uh, uh, in, the, in the Trinity, and uh, even how he operates in time. And one of these thoughts that have come out in, in, uh, in time has come to be known as neo-orthodoxy. What is neo-orthodoxy? Well, it ultimately defines the Word of God as Jesus, and then the Bible, it separates the Word of God in the Scriptures as simply man's interpretation of detailing Jesus's actions. And so, as you follow this train of thought that some have, have followed, what they say is that the Bible is not necessarily the inspired Word of God. And so as a human document, as some would say, various parts of it may not be true. And so God spoke through redemptive history in time, in other words, and he speaks now as people encounter Jesus in time, but the Bible itself, they would say, is not necessarily objective truth. And so not even uh, that long ago, I read an article Uh, in the Southern Baptist context, where the first sentence was that the Bible never refers to itself as God's Word. And then the article's goal was to try to separate Jesus from the Word and pull those things apart. But here in John 11, if you flip back to chapter 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and you go to the very beginning, here's what John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so what John's doing here in his gospel is this, he's not trying to separate Jesus he, uh, from, from God's Word. He's trying to put it all together and show us that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Word. And so here in, in John, we see the culmination of this when, he's, when he says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And so this is why Jesus let Lazarus die and then went to Bethany to ra- raise him from the dead to show that he's not subjected to time, but time is subjected to him. And so in, in verse 43, he calls out into that tomb, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And this dead man, who was dead because too much time had lapsed, walks out, and everyone is amazed. Now, significantly in verse 11, we also see this, that when Jesus is talking about death, he doesn't describe it as death. He describes it as sleeping. And I love how the New Testament talks about death in the Christian context. It it takes this idea that outside of of the creator-creation distinction, if you will, uh, where we understand in our worldviews that there is a God who created time, that there is a God who created creation, that we operate within his creation, uh, that whenever we try to step out of that, then all we have is death. All we have is time ticking away, boring a Grand Canyon in our lives. 
But when we understand that time is something that exists in the context of of God's creation, what we have is the concept of Jesus taking the idea of death and turning, turning it into just something that he calls sleep. So what we see is that death has no dominion over him who is life himself, nor does death have dominion over those who are in him. And so when we place our faith in Jesus, of course, what that means is that because he lives, because he rose from the dead, we also can live too. Because he is life, we can live eternally. And so his statement when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, provides a godly perspective on how we are to understand and redeem time. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Well, uh, in some sense, what it means is that as, as those who are studying eschatology, we want to be careful that we don't become the kind of theologians who take the Word of God and, and extrapolate from it all of these different charts like we're living in some kind of Ocean's Eleven movie, right? And we're just trying to compute and figure everything out. What we also want to make sure is that we're not taking the, the Word of God, we're not taking how God has revealed Himself in Christ in time, and that we're spending all of these thousands of dollars on billboards trying to calculate when the rapture is going to occur or whatever we want to do with all of that. And I would imagine that in this room, none of us are probably struggling with those kinds of things. But what it does mean for us, I think, in this room is this, that more seriously, we need to learn what it really means to trust God with our time. Uh, I love what Isaiah 40, 31 says. This is a verse that God spoke to me personally last week as I was thinking about some things he was doing in my life. Uh, And Isaiah says this, Yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, and they will run and not get tired, and they will walk and not become weary. You know, I I don't know about you, but it is tiring pursuing education. And then having a job. Some of us have families. So we have school, we have job, we have families, we have hobbies, we have all these things. And time, we just never have enough time. And then in the, mean, in the meanwhile, we're trying to get somewhere with all of this. We're trying to pastor a church. We're trying to, trying to become a youth pastor, a worship pastor, serve in, in a school system, serve politically, whatever it is that we're trying to do. And, and we're just wondering, will any of this ever happen and and sometimes we're trying to fit so much of our life into such a small amount of time that we forget that God is the one who controls time and we want to subject God to our timeline rather than be than the other way around and what Jesus says here is he he's telling us that that he's not subjected to our timeline but really we need to make sure that our time is subjected to him Someone said it this way, Martha believed that the resurrection is an event. Jesus showed her that the resurrection is a person. Martha's knowledge of eternal life was an abstract idea. Jesus proved that the knowledge of eternal life is a personal relationship. Martha thought victory over death was a future expectation. Jesus corrects her, showing her that victory is a present reality. And when you get to verse 26, Jesus asks Martha an all-important question, which I think is applicable to us, which is this, do you believe this? Do we believe this? Because I'm, I'm convinced that often with our actions and how we spend our time that we're not. And then in verse 27, Yes, Lord, she says, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So the story serves as a warning for us about the idea of mouthing correct theological statements about him, but not really showing that with how we spend our time. His goal was to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in him who alone can provide it. So we've heard the the lyrics to the song, Because He Lives, We Can Face Tomorrow. But ultimately what Jesus is telling us here is that because he lives, 
we can face eternity. You see, it's not merely that we can face tomorrow, but we can live eternally, even right now in these, in these moments. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good word. I want to pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us as we uh, spend our time, that we would do a good job with it, that we would spend our time wisely. Um, Lord, we thank you for Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life right now, that we don't have to wait to the last day uh, to see all of that take place and to see our hope ultimately and, and finally experienced. And I thank you that we can experience that right now in our relationships with Jesus. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell Chapel podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.